0: All right, so this is basically the Shadow Dragon podcast, where we're going to talk about OSN and just rant about random stuff within the industry. So, yay! We're just gonna, you know, the, the design of this podcast is kind of is is pretty much we want to share insights, observations, um, have a have a lively dialogue, and and hopefully, if you're listening at home, you can enjoy this, maybe laugh a few times make fun of us and, um, work on your car in the garage. You know, it's, it's just fun stuff. And, um, we're just going to share our candid opinions on things as we see fit that may offend some people don't really care. Um, but you know, we're not here to be liked all the time. We just want to share the, the truth and how we see it. So, um, my name is Daniel Clemens, founder of shadow dragon. I, I, uh, I started our first OSNT tool back in 2009, uh, called social net. And, um, I've always used open source intelligence as an augmentation for investigations. It's not the silver bullet, but, um, there you go. That's, that's a little bit of my story.
1: Yeah, I'm Elliot. I'm the Elliot Anderson. I'm the CTO at uh, shadow dragon. So all the tech that we, uh, that we, uh, wrangle, that's, uh, that's my team. Uh, Nico works with me as well. He's a legend. And he would he would say he's not, but but uh, he's a legend in the uh in the in the Netherlands. <laughs> he's our Dutch OSINT guy. Um but uh you can talk a little bit about yourself, Nico, if you want.
2: Yeah, well, hi, Nico, Nico Dagens. Uh Just like you said, people know me better by my handle, Dutch Ocean Guy. Been in the Ocean game for almost, well, over 25 years now. Yes, I'm that old. So, uh, yeah, uh, lots of fun at Shadow Dragon, being the director of uh, intelligence and collection innovation. So, what are we going to talk about today, guys? So,
0: have a list. Yeah, I was wondering, well, some of the things that I've, I've been enjoying recently is, is just kind of the, the rash of, 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 uh, Data breaches and data dumps kind of, you know, surging as the summer months kind of hit us. Yeah. It seems to be a good correlation between, you know, folks cutting their teeth on on hacking and uh, having a lot more free time, you know. Yeah. Um, the two big dumps that I, I was looking at just the last few weeks. One is the uh, China Telegram users dump so you have like $1.2 million, 1.2 million chinese telegram users dumped i don't really know the whole story on that if you guys do that'd be awesome and then the uh, Tencent 10 cent qq um, dump where it was 720 million qq ids correlated to phone numbers dumped
1: somewhere yeah. so 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 an eighth of the planet
0: <laughs> right well it's probably that that's realistically that's probably all the major QQ users within, you know, China proper. Uh, That's just my theory, but I I would love some insights into that. Um, I just saw those in our change log as we were pushing stuff to our breaches database. And um, I don't really know the source of those or what you guys have pivoted on those or, or, or any other insights into the, into the
2: severity of that, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, when I look at it, I'm, I'm the hoarder of all data. The, just get just to get that straight. So if I can find something, I will try and collect it. But particularly when it comes to uh, China or Russia, those are, especially for me as a European guy, very often a black box because it's it's hard, simply harder to access those regions of the world. So anytime. I can get my hands on some data that will give me more insight that we can leverage for example within our tools to give our users more advantage on discovering someone's first and last name connected to a phone or an email address i will not hesitate to collect that information since it's already publicly out there so uh, also to get that clear we don't buy we don't steal we don't hack data we only collect data from those open sources and we integrate it within our tools. so when i look at this in the recent breaches Also, we had um, uh, a Russian uh, education platform being hacked with a lot of credentials, the the resh.edu.ru platform that had how many lines? Almost 10 million lines with date of birth, email addresses. I think that's interesting to see that we see a huge spike in those specific data sets the last three to four months. Maybe it has something to do with the situation in Ukraine and all the politics involved with Ukraine, China. But also what I'm noticing is that there's less traction when it comes to Ukraine and Russia, from which I also, and this is a pure guess and a hunch, is that a lot of the people who were um, originally in Russia trying to hack databases and exposing that publicly probably were sent to the front to fight. Some of them now might have been back or are back, which is noticeable because the past month, three weeks, I'm seeing an increase of data leaks. And that's interesting. Um, So correlation, causation, it's more of a hunch than actual facts, but this is what I'm seeing. And there's also a lot of, this is something that Elliot and I, and then you and I, and Dan, we we discussed that. There's also a lot of these so-called breached forms or hacking forms that are hacking the crap out of each other just because- they. which is funny to watch because it gives us even more information
0: yeah and I and I mean some of that's a little bit of that teenage hacker angst right like there's there's a there's a progression in in folks that are in that community heavily and being competitive within that community I mean it's it's not too much different than you know defacements or um, phone freaking back in the day it's just a different
1: genre of it that's kind of my take on it, you know. I had a dream about fun freaking the other day, man. <laughs> I Uh-oh. felt really old. I literally felt old when I woke up. I was like, man, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> uh-huh. Um actually, so it's interesting you mentioned that. Uh one of the things that I think I think there's multiple pressures creating the number of breaches we've seen in the last I would say probably 3 years. It's definitely increased in the last few months for sure, but I think the just the huge amount of increase in breaches one thing that I really like to tell everybody when I talk to people, and this is more of like, you can tell your mom this, you can tell your grandma this, you can tell your kids this, is that any data you put online, it will be breached at some point. Whether it's you know a quantum computer 50 years from now that just rips apart the whole internet, or if it's just a poorly configured Postgres database somewhere that somebody just completely owns. Uh, so that's something I would just take as a rule of thumb to always you know, keep in mind that when you put things online, it may not be private. It it probably isn't. And that's, that's something to remember. So when you put your credentials in, when you put your name and your, your social or whatever you're putting in online, you know, keep in mind, maybe don't put that in, Put something random or or weird and that's probably a better idea. Um, But going more into where the, the breach stuff's going, I think, I think we have two things that have happened. We have the Ukrainian war, which I think has really accelerated a lot of the Russian and and Chinese breaches from a variety of political perspectives. I think the other thing is, I think that there's a generation of developers and engineers that their security focus is not the same as it was, say, 15 years ago. Um, Maybe that's the boomer in me talking, but I was in an interview with an engineer the other day and I asked him, I said, what happens when you press the power button on a computer just explain to me the process. He couldn't do it. But he could tell me all about kubernetes and docker and all these instances and things and and um thing is if you're running systems and systems and systems the chances of those being exploitable just keeps increasing as you add layers. And so yeah. I think I think that breach information over the next you know, few years, months is gonna get even crazier because I, I think there's a lot of just very poorly configured, very, very um uh I would call it naively installed and designed, you know, systems and people aren't taking their due diligence and doing their pen testing and getting the right security teams to look at things and just and just having the right attitude about it. I should understand everything that's in a system and how it works. And I don't think that's the where we're going. I think we're going the other direction as an industry and You know, so so uh, I think that the pressure, there's the political aspects of these things. There's the boredom. I think the pandemic kickstarted a lot of that. And then you have just the fact that I think there's just so many systems out there running an image of some Linux install of the server from six years ago. That's just covered in exploits, you know, so I think I I think we're just going
2: to see more of this. There's just going to be more and more of it. So I think it's gonna go. People get... don't update their stuff. That's that's exactly it. but also what I'm noticing, I don't know if you guys have also noticed that that a lot of these mobile applications, particularly Android, are so badly configured that it's so easy to collect credentials uh with a man in the middle attack or something like that, that it's it's like it's like these companies don't care about their customers. All they want is a certain
0: I, revenue. I don't I don't know. I mean I don't know if it's that they don't care. I, I like that's kind of where where i kind of disagree on that, i think that they do care it's just ignorance and bliss sometimes right and then you see this ebb and flow of insecurity every few years i mean that i've been doing testing on and off for over 20 years and you know the the exploitation of vulnerabilities generally is always the same there's some assumption someone didn't think about that assumption or doesn't have a mindset of, you know, black, like looking at, uh, the unintended consequences of how things could be used in an, in an unintended manner. Right. And so I think that, you know, schools are are some blame for this and also arrogance, right? Like we kind of have this, this new rise of the expert, experts right like we we were talking about this with aaron walters at at uh, rsa and and you know those guys are super awesome at everything memory you know memory related you know disassembly um you know they're reversing everything in the world um uh, and i was just like dude you know like what what are your thoughts and he's like well the problem is just like we've got this all these experts of experts and the way that like after thinking about that for a while i kind of i kind of agree with that like when we when we look at like some of the folks that we're interviewing you know like you know like it's just crazy to me like people think that they should be paid so much money for air quotes devops when you know that used to be just a sysadmin job or, you know, like you being competent with operating systems and networking. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or God
1: forbid, know how to configure a firewall or something. Like right. That, so it's know? just
0: like, I'm like, oh, man. So, you know, it's it's sysadmin stuff. Plus, you can use a deployment technology that you can't explain in an interview. But you can copy everybody else's scripts on, on a you know, from, you know, some forum online. Right. So um, I do think that there's a, a huge knowledge gap. And then people are maybe having an imposter syndrome where they don't want to accept or admit that there may be a a vast amount of information that they don't, they don't know just because they weren't in the trenches. I mean, just a few, and I'm just still rambling on, but like just a few days ago, I, I caught some of the guys talking in the, in our random channel about the OSI, OSI model, right? And, um, oh, you know, that's kind of outdated, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Outdated my ass, right? Like, like choose which author you like Comer or Richard Stevens on, on, on networking and tell me why you like it, but don't tell me it's outdated. And so I just like pretty much like gave him a really hard challenge, everybody, a really hard challenge that I, I give to like harder interviews and I've been giving it for 20 years, which is you know, if you're sitting on a box, right. doesn't matter what kind of box it is. You can't print out your, um, route information and you can't do an, if, if config, um, you can't look at the route tables. What's the most likely default route above you? How would you solve that problem? And it's, it's really a, a puzzle around the OSI layer. Right. Um, And that kind of got everybody talking. And the whole point that I kind of pushed on that was like, look, man, like, don't say something's outdated and act like you're you're a super expert if you can't use the OSI model to troubleshoot your problems. And I think that, you know, when we have like all these super complex systems that have technology stacks on top of networking stacks, on top of virtual machines, on top of different technologies you know the the complexity is you know exponential the vulnerability attack surface there may it's be it's big that's what yeah, i was getting at it's just yeah. really big right that's and then each. and then you know the biggest vulnerability is always just the guy who's like hey i'm the smartest dude in the room because i live in a cave and and you know nobody challenges me because i'm the keyboard warrior on reddit right and you just see that all the time or at least i do all the time where i'm like man like This is why we have some of these vulnerabilities. And some of that is also linked to colleges and universities not making their computer science program hard like it was back in the day. Like how many computer science programs have a CPU architecture class? You know, how many of them have thrown out Java? How many of them have, you know focused on hardcore design patterns and, you know, building your own compiler. Like, and I'm not the guy who built a compiler. I'm just saying the harder things people have to accomplish, the, the humble, like the, the humbler they are and the
1: less expert of experts we probably would have, you know? Yeah. You're, you're hitting on something. I, and it's not really in our notes for, for this today, but one of the things I've noticed too is over doing interviews over the last few years, there's definitely a decrease in the knowledge level of, of just some of the basic stuff, a networking stack, a CPU, and, and and you don't have to tell me every, you know, every single instruct, you know, instruction that it can do. Just, just understand how it does it, you know, why yeah. it does it, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, that's going to dramatically increase security or, or your ability to develop something or your ability to reverse something and, and that's that's been something we've we've definitely seen an increase of over the last few years. You used to you could kind of take a kid from XYZ College, he comes in and he's going to be okay. And now it's like, it seems like that's not the case as much anymore. And I think that's yeah, leading directly into our conversation earlier, we're going to have more breaches because yeah. I'm asking questions for 15 year experts in the industry that can't tell me just the power on cycle of a of a, of a computer. And I, I didn't even specify in the question what machine. You could have picked a little Raspberry Pi or you could have picked an old x86, you know, a 386 computer for me. I, I didn't even specify that. Just walk me through the process. But it's
2: not that. strange. It's not strange because when you look at um, the, the generation, just let's say the younger generation, they don't build PCs themselves for computers anymore. Or, or
1: even understand mm-hmm. what they do. That's the thing. It's it's. it's yeah. I don't think you necessarily need to know how to stick memory into a computer. This is a guy that has computers full of water all over this room. I mean, I love that kind of stuff, but I also know that like you should be able to understand the basics of how a system works like from, yeah. from end to end. Maybe not every single, every single tiny, minute detail, but you need to be able to know um, this is how power is delivered to the system. Is oh, there's, no, there's
2: no need for them to question that because everything yeah. that they buy nowadays simply works out of the box there is no mm-hmm. configuration no setup no installing no nothing so you don't even ask yourself that question what do I need to do to make it work how I want it to work because it works by default
0: right and maybe this is the unintended consequence of Apple right where <laughs> You can't open your stuff. You can't look with look into it. You can't tinker with it. And that that whole tinkering and that curiosity, it's it's definitely less, right? And I'll share I'll share kind of to illustrate like how bad some of these these folks these expert of experts are that are coming in for interviews. And and part of this is just having a better weeding out process for for folks you interview. Um, but one of the questions that made me fall out of my chair one time was somebody like we asked this guy who was just throwing around all these apis and you know um we use he uses this framework for ui ux stuff and you know it's it's all super easy and and i was a little like curious of this guy's capabilities because he came from a, a code camp type background and i said well what's what's an api man
2: It's, it's no a
1: response. Question.
0: <laughs> so now, <laughs> like, and that was a few years ago. So now, oh my! And and when he he didn't know, I just I just left the interview, man. I'm like, you guys can deal with this. This is this is total <laughs> dog shit. And um, you'd be surprised. I would say that's like one of the top weed out questions that we have nowadays is for developers is straight up ten minutes into the interview. Tell me what an API is. Explain it. That gets that gets a good amount of folks just out the door straight up. And it's so crazy. Especially it's like after they say it, then we ask it, you know. And then the other question, this is kind of around your generality question, Elliot, was um you're on your computer, you open up your web browser to go to Google. Tell me how that happens. Yeah, what happens? Yeah. It's, what happens? It's a great question. It's a great question because they can go like super nerdy, right? Or they can just be like, "Well, some super crazy cool magic happens, and Google shows up on my screen. It's so cool." Post. And you're like, "Boom!" You're like, "Huh? Wow! Yeah, I'm glad we live in the magical internet where just things occur." I don't know if this is a good dev position
1: or dev <laughs> well, ops position, right? I think. You know? <laughs> I think. I think a lot. Of what's really cool about those questions too is a lot of people can answer them well but you really get to know what they like and what they understand. So you yeah. have somebody start talking about that whole OSI stack. Then you know oh, this guy likes networking, right? You have somebody go way into the frameworks of the browser and the and the life cycle, you know that guy knows the browser. And so it's kind of a cool uh yeah, cool way to really, really get to to see, you know, what people know. And then every now and then you you're talking to someone who's got 20 years experience and they're like, "Well, I type Google in and then there's a Google." And you're yeah. like, "Oh, Anyone yeah, but also honestly it's there's or,
2: nothing wrong with with telling people that you don't know that's yeah, when yeah, i totally. have interviews a lot of people are making up an answer i'm like hey it's okay to, to don't know yeah. everything
0: right yeah or that's or why i like do, that question you, you, that's why i like yeah, the question I, I i do like that that question a lot because it does expose a lot because like you at some point in time you do get somebody that's like super nerdy about stuff and i just totally love those guys because it's like they're like and then the colonel it does this thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It does this current it does this call, evokes DNS, DNS gets, you know, the next level. And I mean, it's just like they get super nerdy on every step. And then it push- pushes it back into your browser and it's amazing. You're just like,
1: you're hired. Yeah.
2: You know That's, what I mean?
1: It's always good to hear those. But we have questions. We have a we have a variety of questions that are based on that, on those kind of concepts of like, tell me what you know. Do you like it? You know, can you describe the basics of it? You know, like, like, it's not a, none of those questions really it's, I, I I think they're better than the Google questions of like, you're an ant in a blender and you have to get out of the blender and you're, you know, like, it, cause it, cause it gets to highlight the interest people have and sort of the technology and stuff that we do. But the number of people that can't answer those questions or really fumble them this is incredible. And And Nico, you have a good point. Sometimes people kind of, Embellish it, and it's like it's okay to say I have no idea how the graphics driver writes this stuff at all. I know it does it, but yeah. you know that's okay to say if you don't. Know I'm good
2: at other know. stuff that yeah. I can tell you about. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's like well, then it goes off to the to the to the renderer and it does its thing, and then it comes back and like. As long as you're not answering that way to everything, I think it's okay. But, yeah. but those are those are always kind of a uh, entertaining uh, entertaining questions. And no, we're not going to talk about every one of our little questions on the podcast. Right? Stand, yeah. So. No, these are just <laughs> <laughs> enough
2: spoilers. Enough spoilers. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. You <laughs> yes. kept,
1: yeah so, so anybody coming to coming to get hired now is going to be ready for that one. I'm going to get yeah, a 30 know, minute question. That's, that's okay though. Because 30 like, minute response.
0: That's good. That's good. I mean, that's if if somebody's prepared for success, that's always good. But, I mean, so kind of going through like some of these interview thing, interview questions, and and the the tension with the expert of experts, right? Like, what does it look like? I'll, I'll pose this to Nico because we've been dominating far too much. Um, Nico, what's it look like for the last year, ten years of OSN? Like, what was it like ten years ago for you? What is it like now? And I and I'll share. You know what it was like for me, you know, ten yeah. years ago.
2: It's a good question. Um, so ten years ago, um, and I'm purely talking about myself and the teams that I was in. I think most of the tasks that we did with it, when it comes to open source intelligence-oriented investigations, were manual. So mm-hmm. it's just you and your laptop and an internet connection. That's basically it. You had to set up manual sock puppets. You needed to maintain them all manually. So the puppeteering was um i had a routine just to break it down every time when i went at that point i was still in government doing some sketchy clandestine uh, ocean stuff so i come in the office at a given moment in time have myself a, gr- a cup of coffee fire up a laptop start logging into all my sock puppets why because i wanted to make them look alive so every morning they logged in they liked stuff they played a little game they did and then they went searching for the various goals that I had. In the meanwhile, I was collecting information, but also I was trying to write my own little, most of the time, Python scripts or PHP that could semi-automate little tasks because I'm definitely not a, let's say, a very good coder, but I know enough Python to to make my daily routine work. Um, That evolved over the years, but that's particularly looking back at 10 years ago. Uh, The internet was slower. there was, uh, let's say, less social media compared to now because mm-hmm. it, it simply was more doable. If I needed to track down a terrorist or a terrorist cell or some kind of arms dealer or a cocaine cartel, um, their footprint was so small when it comes to platforms, we could do that manually. with have a team of four to six persons and we can keep it, keep a it taps on them for months, if not years, if needed. Um, now, Slowly, things started shifting to more privacy aware people, more privacy aware platforms, uh, more encrypted communications, which made it which created more blind spots in Azure. But I think by far the biggest problem the last five to ten years was scalability. So you still need to achieve the same goals, but now you need to find this the same information, not in three platforms, but in 200 platforms which is very, very time consuming if you knew yeah. need to do this on your own. So that's my, that was my biggest challenge. And and now when we look at what I think that we have ahead of us is everything that has to do with, um, I hate it, uh, the terms AI and ML, but there's no way around it. Um, but basically computer algorithms helping you speed up your process. That's the, the new biggest challenge. But I think... The biggest issue that i have with that now currently and that also reflects in the recent white paper that i wrote is that a lot of these for example large language models that chat and google bard uses are super outdated or super biased or oh, they straight yeah, up lie totally. or they straight up lie i've proven that over and over and over again and i think the biggest challenge is that people are well, maybe lazy is not the right world but not skeptical enough to doubt the outcome of these tools and and that's what i anticipate will be the biggest problem the tools and the collection is so dumbified that people um are not aware of the fall pits and risks of these things this is why we i think and this is again this is why we we don't preach um, mm-hmm. ai ml we think the critical thinking the decision part is always the human the human decision so yeah that's a very short version of my let's say past 10 current state and upcoming um, i think the biggest challenge will be scalability and um to have m- enough time to do the thorough analysis yourself or with your team
1: one thing i do think that may be getting possibly a little easier a little bit is the communities have gotten very focused very like for example um If you go into a hiking community, you know, uh, I don't know, all trails or something like that, everybody's talking about, you know, trails and hiking. And they're going to say things about, you know, their family or where they live or where they're at because they feel comfortable in that that smaller community. And we've talked about that, you know, a couple times on the podcast in the past. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the breadth of what you have to cover now is huge. But when you do find that right spot, people's guards tend to be very low. And I think that's going to increase more. I think that there's going to be a D. um, I think you're always going to have your Twitches. You're always going to have your YouTubes. You're always going to have your Instagram influencers and your big OnlyFans people. You're always going to have a platform that's this is the big one that everybody follows this one guy and Mr. Beast or whatever, you know, but. What I think is happening, the Internet is becoming more tailored, tailorized, And the AI bubbles obviously are are created in those places too. But I think that that does make the OSINT investigative process a little easier once your net hits the thing you need. Unfortunately, there's the problem is there's so many places, there's so
2: many. I do think though that that uh, that comes also with a new challenge because um, now and ten years ago, most of the internet was plain text, UTF8 text. Yep, and now hard. we're seeing more and more imagery in moving footage, which brings a new challenge because, um, let's say, analyzing two pieces of paper of text versus one hour of video with multiple mm-hmm. people talking in angles is an entirely different challenge.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is if there's multiple languages in that video, we've done a lot of research on that. That's actually pretty hard. Even, even today with all the hardware that's out there, that's pretty hard to quickly go through. Yep and that's yeah, just the machine multiple. process that's not actually the that's not not even the investigator then looking at it it's as soon as there's 10 languages in a video it's like yeah. the computer really has a
2: problem with that so multiple models, people it. speaking at the same time same issue yeah. it's background noise but again there's no fun if there are no challenges and and luckily again there will be um machine learning algorithms that will be capable of detecting speech or certain dialects and it's an ever evolving world and we we see those things out there as well but it also comes again with um you need to learn as a nose investigator so probably um You either need to outsource it to a commercial party or you need to be capable of setting up your own graphics cards, those expensive, more expensive cards, uh, training them, trying to understand it. And this is also something that, that I, so in the courses that I teach, I try to teach people Python in basically one and a half day, which is impossible. So I always tell people. What do you want to be? Do you want to be an open source intelligence analyst, or do you want to be a software developer? You choose. You can only be one uh, when you're, at least when you want, when you want to do something good full time. So, but I think it's important for you as an analyst to understand certain programming languages in order to read it, because there might be vulnerabilities in it. It might be communicating to a server that you feel uncomfortable with. So with that you need to understand those algorithms and those language models and this again is for me personally a a big challenge because when you look at the corpus of an llm um Mm -hmm. from ChatGTP, which is supposed to be open but there is so much information in there it will take me on my own probably a year if not longer to fully understand how the inner workings are working and how i could trust that system to work for me or with me in my investigations and that's, again, That's those are challenges that I am, yeah, I'm spending hours and hours thinking about and trying to outline how, how to deal with them in the coming years. It's a similar path, but maybe a bit more of a, a little
1: bit of a bunny trail. Um, my daughter and I have been doing a lot of stuff with stable diffusion. And um, if you don't know what that is, it's a AI image processing software you can run on your computer. And I could give it a bunch of Nico's faces and say, hey... Show me Nico in Braveheart, and it could do that. Or uh, we were talking earlier about somebody wearing the glasses to throw off the facial recognition. We could cut out part of the face and say, show me all the yeah. faces. Um, but one of the interesting things that I've noticed is you can give it text prompts and you can say, I want two cats uh, fighting to the death in World War I military equipment. Yep. and sometimes it will just choose not World War 1 military equipment it'll choose weird space equipment and and things like that and so i think that loops back to what we're just we're just talking about about the ai stuff we the analyst's ability to understand how these systems work at a high level and then at a more intricate level is super important because that's prompt is dumb. Two cats fighting in World War II equipment, and then all of a sudden it shows me cats fighting in like it was like Buzz Lightyear armor or something. Like, like it World totally War, got it.
0: World War II or World
1: War One? I, I think uh, I did World War One and two. And then one of them oh, it okay. shows, like um it shows like cartoon spaceship armor. Now that's stupid, but if we start applying AI algorithms to video processing and to the analytics of of um, who somebody is on a graph or something like that on a, on a big link analysis graph, then you're going to end up with, if analysts trust that, they're going to literally trust something that freaking dumb. Yeah. And that's that's just, that's where the methodology aspect that we've talked about for years just comes in even stronger today. It's like with these machine learning things, they can help us, but they can also really screw us over. So- yeah. I asked it for cats fighting in a world war, and it gave me cats that looked like they were wearing Buzz Lightyear armor. The machine yep. just didn't get it. It didn't. It didn't understand. And so, if I trusted that, I just screwed up an entire
2: you know murder investigation. Right? I actually well, had a, yeah. I actually had had a, had a funny story where uh, an investigator that I know he used Jet GTP and basically fed it. Uh, well, I think it's around forty pages of text. In that text it contained phone numbers so basically he fed it to chat gdp he said and he said extract me all the phone numbers so and it gave it back a nice list with phone of phone numbers and so he said isn't it wonderful i just asked i feed the information to a system i ask a question and it extracts all the phone numbers and i was like can I get that data set and can I play around with it and try to reproduce what you did? Because I'm a little bit skeptical when it comes to these systems. Also, I just told them, hey, you're basically uploading law enforcement evidence to a third party tool, which may He's be illegal. use it
1: in its index. Yeah. gonna start using it in an index. Exactly, yeah. which may be illegal,
2: yeah. but, but that aside, and interestingly, when I did it, I asked that question and it gave me a list. But then I did it, let's say, the old school way. So basically drop it in, let's say, an Excel or spreadsheeting tool and then extract that based upon a regex and get all the information out of there. Interestingly, I got more numbers, more accurate results. And I went back to him and I'm like, so how would you do this if you need to go into court and the judge asks you, hey, how did, how did this go? Two fingers. I shall only swear this is the way it went. What are you going to say, hey, I dropped in 10, 20 pages. I asked a question and it gave me this answer, magic sauce. like again. Yeah. Well, it's there's crazy.
0: there's a, a there's a few good cases that happened in the last 2 years uh, about some of the competitors in in our space that were pushing a lot of a lot of AI uh, generated output so they would get data from a third party. Put it in their database, apply some algorithms to it, and have some magical output, right? And so, uh, U.S. government took that 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 information to a k to to court, and when asked about you know how did they come to these conclusions, they're like, well, there's this AI algorithm in the software, blah blah blah. Of course, the judge is like, okay, explain it to me.
2: What does the yes. algorithm do?
0: How did you get from A to D? And they statistics were like, statistics class yeah, in the corner. They, like, <laughs> they were like, okay, cool. We'll just get the vendor. And the vendor comes back and says, sorry, you got to hold that back. Yep. We're not going to help you. And, and that vendor, you know, everybody knows who they are. Like they're losing their clients left and right that are government clients because of that type of, behavior you know you can't have this super crazy voodoo box that just outputs magic and then you can't explain it and and then even if you could explain it you, you think you're going to get the guy that can explain the linear algebra and the machine learning process and how it made those jumps based on the learning model that it's currently doing for the conviction of of somebody right in front of you that that's arguing for their innocence
1: you know it's just kind of like you know yeah. terminator yeah. style I, yeah right? I, you I, know? I i really think too um to to be a little bit on the other side of that too is like if you do utilize ai it's i think it's extremely important that anyone using it understands at least the basic concept of what's happening i think that's Like because like Nico said earlier, we're gonna have to use this stuff more, especially with video and things like that as time goes. But I think it's really important that as an analyst, from a due diligence perspective, and as a as a corporate you know uh, uh, a company and a and a a culture perspective, going, we will show you the codes available. You can see what it does. Here's this is the path it takes at a high level. It tries to do this, 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 this. You know, and so I think that anybody that's not doing that, that is. That's yeah. red hot. Don't touch it. That's going to burn yeah. your hands. Like that's yeah. Bad. If you're not able
2: write... of manually validating uh, the yeah. outcome of any, let's say, model, then you're not doing your investigation. Let's say yeah. in the right. No. Sorry, yeah. Dan. Go ahead.
0: No, I, I there's just going to be a rise in transparency in this, you know, and there's probably yeah. going to be a rise in some some regular regulation around to- it, right? You know, so, you know, I would hope for like some kind of Internet Bill of Rights that includes this plus, you know, complete freedom of speech. Right. You know, um, where it's absolutely outlined and there's complete transparency and people weren't getting confused, you know.
2: Yeah, I fully agree.
1: Um, Nico, we've got uh, some other items on our list today. One of them we've got on here that. Me and Dan are in the U.S., but you're over in Europe, and there's definitely been some weird stuff happening around, like lone wolf stabbings and sort of people just really getting wild. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that in relation to the internet, filter bubbles, just the yeah. political, you know, situation?
2: Well, we we have been talking about this in the previous yeah. podcasts as well that there is a a spike in lone wolf, particularly stabbing attacks in Europe. So recently, there was a very horrific one in France at the kids' play yard where actually babies horrible. here first step. Horrible. you and I we watched that video it yeah was, we watched it together awful it it was it was horrific uh but again, it also showed very clear that this guy was not trained for combat at all, the way he was yelling and waving his knife and he was jumping but interestingly, he was also clearly only out for young kids. Now, there were also some other incidents in the Netherlands uh, today, actually. Yep, I saw um, that. <laughs> uh, there are some incidents in Belgium, again, uh, there was an incident in Italy, we had in the Netherlands, we had two weeks ago, they air they did an arrest of Te- Chechens, uh, planning a terrorist attack uh, in I don't know where but at least they they caught him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting what there are two things that i think i think um during the pandemic uh there was a spike in a focus on far left and far right which made a lot of government agencies in europe forget about let's say uh muslim terrorists which made them regroup again because the focus was very heavy on them until let's say 2018. This is where Europe kind of changed. The political landscape changed. Um, So they lost focus, which made those groups regroup, but also keeping in mind that people during pandemic were in their homes. Uh, Europe has a very large migrant problem uh, at this current moment in time. There are simply Mm -hmm. too many people coming into Europe at the same time. Uh, And with that, you also get as a free gift people who are, let's say don't have right intentions (laughs) free gift LA get a bonus uh, prize (laughs) yeah a a bonus surprise and which is interesting because um people know how to get into Europe um there are a lot of let's say young men coming out of specific regions in the world and they are all coming into Europe because they are quote unquote gay which they are not but they know that that's a very good excuse to get led into the country, uh, my country, any country in Europe. And that has an impact on um, the society because it's only men. Uh, I think n- by now uh, it's safe to say that it's more than 75% is men coming into Europe. Uh, they are being held in places and they are super frustrated because that process is super slow. Very often they get sent from country to country to country that don't have housing and they have a different background and they are frustrated. With that, we also have terrorist cells with goals. And I can see because I'm still, I, I did not forget um, I I did counterterrorism for almost fifteen years in my government life, and it's just let's say old habits to keep tabs on certain keywords and tracking that. I see that there is a huge up spike mm-hmm. in um, let's say Islamic State orientated propaganda keywords and a call to action, which comes back to your your comment again, um, Elliot. There's nowadays there's so much AI and algorithms going on, on these, on any particular platform. So think of a search engine, think of a social media platform that will basically custom tailor your account. So if I now set up an account on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, that algorithm on that platform will custom tailor results and friend suggestions to me based upon the topics that I search for. That has always been the case. Uh, 10 years ago, nothing different. But now since these algorithms are so fast and so efficient, they basically pull you in deeper. So you get more suggestions of the same topics that you're already interested in. So basically one can now self radicalize purely based upon the searches that you do. It used to be the case 10 years ago, because I've investigated that that uh, at the university at Amsterdam. We prove in 2016 that one could self-radicalize on YouTube just by watching videos and being lured in by suggestions, but now it's everywhere. And if you talk to people in an echo chamber and they feed you with information and you take that information to other places of the internet, those algorithms, again, will custom tailor you. You bring back that information to the echo chamber as well as all the other people in the echo chamber and and now it has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And this is where certain terrorist cells work really good because they know that they now only need to... plant little seeds in people their brains in order for them to do that lone wolf attack so the the, uh, the actual masterminds only need to plant seeds sit back and relax and this is where i see a huge call to lone wolf attacks and they literally say hey train in your local gym get fit buy a knife and randomly start stabbing people that's just yeah and, the and i mean
0: the, i guess the larger the larger theme there is. Um, the, and this has been pushed since you know the 70s and 80s though is is the idea of overwhelming the system you know this is this is um out of you know the the Saul Alinsky playbook um people can go read about kind of the methodology behind overloading um established governments and institutions by overloading the immigration system you know because it, it is basically systematically destroy so many different things at once it's a it's an a it's a great attack vector for kind of this irregular warfare um it's a lot of people have been discussing this for a long time but i i think that there's definitely some unintended consequences of bad immigration policy yeah. um, whether whether or not politics. you're yeah, yeah. And and I mean, this is, this was, it comes up every election cycle, but the reality is there's tons of data on, on how a system can be stressed when you don't regulate the inflow of immigration. And I'm not an anti-immigration guy or, you know, like I'm, I'm all for that because, you know, within the U S we definitely need the workforce big time, you know, Um, I think I think the workforce out of Mexico is, you know, they have better workforce when we look at it compared to China, you know, and uh, the United States is going to need more of that. They need to, you know, somehow figure out how can we attract the best and brightest versus just
1: without the free prizes. (laughs) Right. Well, without
0: the without (laughs) the unintended consequences of just um, displacement. Right. Because the reality is there's a lot of countries in in the world that suck you know some of them are better than than others and when they have deeper conflicts their people want to leave and they want to move somewhere else that makes total sense i get it but how do you handle that if this is going to be a continual influx for every country that's been established for a long time um whatever the the group dynamics are there needs to be at least a line in the sand that says this is when we stop because it causes xyz stress on the system you know whether it be healthcare, law enforcement fire police whatever the 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 basic uh social structures that we have for our society that you know are are the bread and butter there's a certain amount of people that it can support and then
1: it can be used as a weapon right so well i think i think um going going back to what nico was saying too about the 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 um the filter bubbles and sort of the self-fulfilling communities and things Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's a newer thing we need to figure out how as a as as just western society we've got to figure out how to handle that better and I actually would take that a step further. And this gets a little bit into maybe in minority report land and things getting really wild, but I mean, Nico wrote a great blog post or a Twitter a tweet a tweet. It was it was something pretty straightforward where you got the computer, you got an AI algorithm to tell you that a word that was spelled properly was not spelled properly.
2: And that's in the reason white paper that I wrote. Yeah. Right.
1: I, yeah. I, yeah. And I my, a lie
2: and then it says, Yes, I lied, and then I told him no, you don't. Because uh, the word was noises, and he said, and he basically replied. ChatGTP replied, "I misspelled it as no. I deliberately asked it to make a, a misspelling." And he says, or she says, or whatever it is, ChatGTP says, "I spelled it as gnosis, but it was noises." And I'm like, "No, you spelled noises." And he's like, "Oh, sorry, my bad. Won't happen again."
1: Yeah, and and so the concern that I have with with where this can go is somewhere that I think actually could be an unregulated space of like ridiculous chaos. So yeah, if definitely,
0: yeah, definitely some contextual mishaps here. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that those filter bubbles, not only will, they're obviously going to suggest as, as we've, as we've seen Nico, where if I get on to Instagram and all I click on is girls in bikinis, Instagram's going to go, Oh, I know what you want. You want girls yep. in bikinis. That's what you want. Um, And then if I go, oh, I want, you know, jihadist propaganda, it's going to go, here's jihadist propaganda. What I think is sort of the next step that may get really strange is I think that because the filter bubbles are being guided by a system just like similar, the exact same algorithms, and the algorithms are the same as like what Chat GPT uses or what a lot of these use, I think they're going to start creating realities that are not even real and are not even human. I think we're going to see some very strange um, I would say schizophrenic, um, but things mm-hmm. it input a by a...
2: of you, of, of mankind. Because when you look at the data corpus that out of all of these things, uses are years and years of information that we all dropped on in it that our we put opinions, there. Yeah. Yeah. Our exactly. opinions, our white papers, our academic research, our social media posts, our blogs, our little rants, and that what forms, let's say the brain, of AI and ML so basically and people lie all the time people make up make stuff up all the time Mm. people that's and basically you get an amplified version of that by using these models right and that's that's
1: what I'm saying is I think we're actually going to see probably in the near future we will probably see a a serial killer or a or a or a terrorist attack that's based on a concept that doesn't even exist like it's a completely fabricated not by even that person but by a system that says oh i noticed i don't know people that wear red hats and r- ride green bikes are anti-islamic yeah you know some sort of crazy you know
2: i was thinking because if you have these 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 algorithms um And if you put them up on your own monitoring and decision models and you think of a scenario that Elliot just sketched, what if you're monitoring for, let's say, lone wolf attacks? You're monitoring for specific keywords, but now the algorithm tries to help you. And he he or she says, hey, just like Elliot said, I'm noticing a lot of people wearing red shirts in these pictures. Uh, Based upon my model, uh, the more red we see, the more of a risk they are. Now let's start flagging these people based upon thin air. And that's where I think these algorithms come in because they will all have a form of bias and they will all have a form of assumptions uh, based upon how... Well, every model is as good as, as its corpus and, and how it's trained. And they, I think it's so hard to program nuance, figure of mm-hmm. speech, um, extracting idioms, those kind of <laughs> If Nico, if you could do that, we would
1: write a dating app that just tells you what to say. Right. And oh. then you would just, <laughs> we, we would will, call it money. We would. be Yeah, the have nuance a, we, is lost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we
0: would have a hedge fund is what we'd have. <laughs> and it would be real sentiment analysis across every language set that actually worked versus a bunch of people saying that they have that, right? Yeah. Um, well, but I, 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 I think that like, there are certain things that we see in society right now that are, are the outputs of persistent echo chamber, echo chambers um, that do have some very primitive AI, you know, algorithms applied that have been going on since 2012. You know, I think that's where we see some of these these crazy leaps in 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 just logic where insert whatever the topic is, if I disagree with it, it is racism. You know, and you're like, um, help me out with that one. Right. Like it does some, some stuff is just so far out there already. Um, And it's, you know, people sitting in their own echo chamber and then that becoming normalized and then never being challenged nor being okay with any, any level of discourse, which is kind of the output is this cringe totalitarianism that's, creeping into our society more and more right like we want we have we we can't handle that topic we have to ban it or you know boycott it or you know label it as super bad we can't even talk about it you know like look at look at ireland in the last week wanting to restrict freedom of speech so they could preserve freedom of speech like what (laughs) you know like hey like what happened to the irish you know what yeah. is going on over there it's it, insanity you
2: know yeah exactly <laughs> that's it it's insanity yeah but it's interesting it's a i think it's also a very interesting time to be alive because i think we are all old enough to to have experienced the beginning of the internet um the yeah. pcs to computers and now uh we're getting close to quantum commuting computing and all those ai stuff we'll see if it's apple's
1: glasses Take oh off. yeah and the glass
2: the metaverse the virtual <laughs> they're world. coming
1: it's coming at some point we'll see who gets it right but dude, it's super think, interesting th- to learn yeah
0: from. yeah i think the new glasses that apple released are, are really cool you know like i mean think about it for folks that have
1: als or oh. or something like that that's just oh, there's like a, there's a million amazing reasons i know it's stuff, just dude.
0: such a gift right now on some of that that's just so cool yeah. After we just get done ranting about AI, yeah, <laughs> let's use glasses um, to tell us. Sorry, what's going on I'm just adding yeah. some empathy here, right? So <laughs> I'm just thinking about some of the older older folks in our generation, right? That that are that that have those struggles, and and I think that's just going to be a really good gift for them because, you know, for folks that that are on that ALS spectrum or whatever, you know, like goodness sakes, like that's just really nice for them.
2: With yeah. them. medical world, remote surgery, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. but I also i need to point out a little bit of a downside but how how are we going to deal with setting up synthetic identities in the metaverse because those goggles eye tracking all kinds of stupid telemetry going on and if you need to wear it it will be super hard to suck puppeteer any synthetic identity out there
1: there's no way we're working on that right now nico that's yeah. there's no way <laughs> no, that's a great that's a great question um, so you're saying i'm
2: getting those goggles to my office no
1: no 3500 <laughs> yeah. goggles today are are we working yeah. on the uh telemetry and how that data is read we may be learning yeah to put it all that together no yeah i i'll get you those goggles this year
0: i promise that um but how are we going to have a habit you know drive collection through that. I don't know yet. That's, that's going to be a good hardware hack, right? You know, yeah. it's well, back what,
1: to debugging. One of the things I think that one of the things that's always that I love about sort of the, the, the job or the challenge of you call it basic, it's kind of, it's kind of reverse engineering. It's kind of just observing the world around you, but the guy, one of my favorite stories is the guy that figured out he could create traffic jams in London by just oh, yeah. getting 200 cell phones and oh, putting yeah. them in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> That's awesome, and and, and and he would just be like, "I'm just gonna put these right here, and that way all the traffic doesn't come by my house. <laughs> it would block the street, and all the GPSs would avoid his street." Dude, and, I love that. Yeah, but it's gonna be the same stuff with those goggles. It's not gonna be as amazing as you know. It's not gonna be as super super smart as we think. There'll be neat ways to to uh, influence it, what it thinks it's seeing or what it thinks it's doing. But it also feeds back into my tinfoil hat. Discussion about AI creating realities. I mean, when it starts processing data around you again, think minority report, he walks in the store yeah. It says, hey, Tom Cruise, check out this new suit we've got available that'll fit you perfect. You know, it's going to there's going to be suggestions those systems make and put right in people's face, literally yeah. floating out in the air in front crazy. of them. That is just just total BS. Like it's just nonsense generated by the system.
2: Me, here's I'm I'm just
0: gonna I'm just gonna make it so like basically all dad bods out there, if any female is like wearing the glasses, it's just gonna be like illuminate, like this is the hottest dude in the universe, right? <laughs> it makes like, everyone
1: else disappear. Just like
0: disappear everyone else, and and just highlight bold. One pack is the way, not the six pack. There you go. You it's, know, like that's definitely the I feel only like we way. we generated
1: to, enough data we could get it to do. Yeah, that, enough enough data is
0: like this is the breadwinner, this is the winner. The other guys, not so much.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Nico, shift shifting topics a little bit. Nico, I've got a note here that you put in here about a little war going on in data breach forums. So, yeah, well, that's, that, that's that sounds way- exciting. I don't even know what that is, but I want to know what that is. Yeah, what is the war? Well, I the, saw the war- some of this, but. What? What yeah. is it? Totally. How
2: I, how I look at it, uh, we basically already uh, touched upon it a little bit when we started the the, box, the podcast today. Is that they are basically hacking the crap out of each other, doxing each other, um, or um, they're trying to steal each other's data sets and offering them for free uh, on other <laughs> places, sharing them on other forums. So basically, that entire community is so out for cloud fame, uh, or money, uh, that they will do anything. There's, there's no. Well, there's no honor amongst thieves. That's the, the period, but there is literally no honor anymore when it comes to. It. So when I observe this little world called data breach and data leaks, um, mm-hmm. there is so much drama going on there, and which again also comes back to what you always preach, Elliot, getting people in an heightened emotional state. Uh, oh, yeah, it's so interesting to watch this little war going on in Breachland because, uh well. Uh, Recently, uh, breach forms got hacked, expose.vz got hacked uh, by Oni forms. Uh, And basically, um, they used to be old friends, but now they hate each other. And since they know their little infrastructure, and maybe they even shared passwords in some moment in time, and no, people never reuse passwords. Yes, even hackers do that. They get access to certain forms, and now they leak it. So, yeah, when it comes to that, there is a little war going on. Um, which makes it super interesting for an open source intelligence investigator like me, because when people are at war, they make mistakes, operational security mistakes, or they overshare information. So it's super interesting to observe that world now. The world of breaches is a goldmine when it comes to intelligence collection.
1: Yeah, it's it's and it's only going to get better. I think that's only going to improve and get better over time. And you hit on one of my favorite topics, which I'll preach constantly on, and that is the more heightened you can get someone's emotional state, the dumber they're gonna behave online, and they're gonna they're gonna give you what you want, so yeah exactly so um, it's just
0: nerd words, man. nerd wars continue,
2: yeah, yeah, hundred percent, yep,
0: so I was still following the last thread where we were talking about some of the glasses and 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 augmented reality and and AI and all that kind of stuff, so like attaching something else to that is like kind of. Where is the line on that between open source information and OSN in the future, right? And um, in the augmented reality with um, just collection in general, as
1: well as, you know, some of the AI stuff, you know, what do you guys think? I think from an OSN perspective, I think a lot of the generated content coming from uh, AR, which is what I think is going to be bigger than VR type stuff. I mean, VR is going to have its role, but I I think a lot of it's going to be kind of this is what I'm seeing right Mm -hmm. now and that's going to be the videos. Like, I think the sort of TikTok selfie kind of stuff will turn into like a avatar built view of what they're seeing. So like, hey, I'm at the beach. Here's me running around or doing whatever. And That's going to be a lot of the data that we end up grabbing when you move Mm -hmm. into the telemetry and that kind of data on it, that starts moving into a realm of like, is that OSINT? How can we get it? What does that look like? You know that? So I I think there's going to be some sort of a a line there. And obviously I think there's going to be some regulations on this because I am here to tell you the first thing that a high school kid is going to do when they get those glasses is they're going to make it make all of their friends naked. That is the first thing they're going to do. <laughs> it's, yeah. I've, it is the first app that's going to be written for this thing. So yep. there's obviously again, that's going to really get people upset and they're going to get excited and start having to draw lines around that. But I do think that people publicly recording the world around them, interactions with their friends, I think uh, I think in the very near future, the ability to just draw you as you. Yeah. In this stuff, will be there. I mean, it's that stable diffusion. I can, I can put you guys in an anime. I can put you in anything. It's, it's really easy. And so, kind of do that in a real time situation. I think a lot of that's going to be the data that the OSINT community is going to be, uh, a grabbing and looking at and having to go. Oh, he's where is this location? Mm-hmm. He's at in this in this scene or video or whatever. Who is this person? He's with uh, that kind of thing. But I don't, know, Nico. What do you think? You probably have some thoughts
2: when it comes to OS. Int versus osint i think it's first of all it's important to let the audience know that open source information simply lacks context and analysis that's it's just information found in open sources so Mm -hmm. there's no actual context no analysis no processing osint is, an extru- is basically an structured methodology to collect, process, exploit, and analyze open source information really? to address a very specific intelligence requirement. And now, when you come back to what Dan just said, um, finding information will become increasingly challenging because we now have hardware devices um, in various ways in the form of goggles maybe gloves maybe smartphones maybe a vehicle because don't forget the cars that we drive are computers nowadays the bikes that we ride in the netherlands are computers they're all connected which generate open source information Now, how can we collect all those pieces of information? That is the hard part, to turn that into a OSINT outcome. Can I collect data coming from an Apple Glass? Can I collect data from Meta's uh, their goggles? Can I collect data from a Tesla? Can I collect data from TikTok? And now I need to combine all of those worlds to address an intelligence requirement. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people who are Claiming to be open source intelligence investigators online are making a mistake. I see too many people practicing open source information collection because there's so many people who do not thoroughly analyze that information, that do not process and exploit the pieces and nuggets that they found to address that one question that they want to have Mm -hmm. an answer. Your thoughts, Dan?
0: I think it's a fine line right? So the goal is a, a, a report that has some valuable nuggets there, right? Um, I think that we've already kind of eclipsed open source information, and the marketing buzz of OSN is, is always going to trump that, right? So I don't think that the Open source, you know, information collection or PAI collection is going to trump what what OSN is from a marketing term already within the industry. So, um, I think it's it's the melding of both worlds now, and um, as professionals, investigators are going to be making OSN products for whatever the business requirements are. Or, or even you know, the intelligence requirements are right. So, um, I think that's the reality of the situation, and that's where the methodology of how you collect things, how you put the puzzle pieces together, how you, how you do a short term and a long term investigation, melts that open source information into open source intelligence to augment. A larger investigation for a little bit different types of of context so um kind of stepping back like one of the there was a, a a fairly long investigation that i was involved in and this was back when we had kind of been separating packet ninjas and and shadow dragon and and so i was kind of still doing kind of in both worlds um and so on the packet ninja side we um it was an insider threat type exploitation you know, problem set. And we had a theory about some external actors that were actually involved with somebody that was working internally. And so open source intel, like the, the process of collecting information on everyone associated with this external vendor in that investigation did produce some really valuable dossiers on each of the individuals to give me a good picture of um, what the capabilities were and what the correlations were uh, that did create intelligence, you yeah. know, and, in and, and, and I'll say that it definitely had nothing to do with, OSINT being the silver bullet, it just happened to be a, a very valuable tool that helped us get additional context. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the big difference between open source information, publicly accessible information, that's all out there. Yeah. But the analyst is what puts together the OSINT for something that's valuable with their insights that are not biased, right? And so that's where I think, the there are unintended consequences for people saying utilizing ai models to tell people how to think about the the combinations of publicly accessible information or um, open source information and saying that that's osnt um just because it isn't you know like that's a machine telling you something that it doesn't have full full context around and And, and kind of like from a computer science perspective, I feel like the whole, like going down that, that context bunny trail a little bit, it's very similar to how CPUs don't really know what a number is. Is it signed? Is it unsigned? Is it, you know, what is it? Uh, But with context, it's, what does this text actually mean within the, 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 the culture that we're in and, and the idioms and the, And the location and like the slang all of those things very confusing um for a computer right and so um though that's kind of like my you know seven cents on the topic
2: yeah (laughs) sounds worth some valuable seven cents so yeah no but that's and again i think that's i think a good point that you just made is that the silver bullet one. There is no int, so no human, no seeing, no forensics int, no differ, no, no nothing. That is the silver bullet. They all are friends. They rely on each other to create a as complete as you can get picture. Uh, this is again, for example, when I was in the government, we looked at criminal youth gangs. So on internal data, so police government data, there was a Analysis done by analysts that created a picture. So, this was the ringleader, those were followers, those were foot soldiers. Then they asked my team to overlay that information with publicly inv- available information. So, basically, that created a new analysis on top of the original analysis that totally changed the outcome because the internal data set that person x was the leader and person y was a full shoulder but by looking at the open source information we could see that the alleged leader was just a facilitator nothing more but we found two new individuals that were not in the internal data that were clearly pulling strings for the entire group and this comes back to basically what you said is that you need pieces of information to create a broader picture, but you should never forget that um, the profession that you might be in, in this case, open source intelligence, and the tools that you use are definitely not the silver bullet. They are helpful to find out. Right.
0: I would say something that's closer to the silver bullet is building up a knowledge base of investigative questions for your what, whatever the requirements are within your industry. And that can, you know, that can differ for a lot of different things, but the the bigger your knowledge base can be, you essentially you're asking more questions about whatever's relevant for your industry to reduce risk or identify problems, like things in supply chain, right? Um so, you know, like that's that's where I think some of the gold is in the industry is People just building up their own knowledge bases for that investigative process. And then the collection and the observations of that collection are, are the are, you know, the additional, you know, nuggets there that help push things over the edge, you know.
1: I think supply chain's an area that could really benefit from some good OSIMP methodology. I think that's an yeah. underserved group of you know, businesses in the world. So
0: Yeah, I would say that I would also say that with, with even within the, the the industry itself, right? Supply chain is a big thing and I think a lot of people will, might be looking past it or not asking enough questions about it, you know.
2: Yeah, I agree. I love a good old ACH analysis of competing hypothesis will always help you ask questions, just like you said, then it's it's old school, it's not fun to do always, but mm-hmm. it will help you find gaps and it will help you find answers.
0: I would I would Kind of going back to that supply chain issue. I mean, like kind of eliminating that. Probably people are always like, what the hell is this guy's problem? Um, Why is it important? I think it's it's really important to understand where your collection comes from. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's very and, important. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. <laughs> we've just seen some, some pretty bad disasters, right? Um, but without going into too many details, you know, like, we were able to figure out kind of that recent report that meta put out last year on Voyager labs. And, um, what's that company? What's that Russian company's name? Um, Links, yeah. And a few other folks in the OSN industry. Um, I was, when I read that, I was thinking, goodness sakes, you know, why is there an overlap here? And, and some of the, some of the overlap seems to be, All those folks were using the same vendor, an Israeli-based firm that was doing the synthetic identity creation um, and um, backend infrastructure for all those companies. So that's like one thing, like, I know, like, there are a few folks that are, are partnering with different providers of open source intelligence or open source information collection. One, you need to know where that company's from where their developers are from and then how is their backend really work? And and then what's their, what's their transparency statement really?
2: Especially the transparency statement. That's, that's really important. If you're buying something, you need to have full transparency, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah,
2: that's, well, that's something that we're, we're pretty,
1: we're pretty adamant about. And, and then what we do is, you know, anything that we build, any of our techniques, any of our technology, it's you can manually do it you can see exactly how it's done you can follow the breadcrumbs you can see exactly how that works and if anyone says they can't do that that's a pretty good red flag right there that there's there's a problem it you know they can't if if you can't describe where you got something and how you got it or, how can you trust even, that information
0: yeah. yeah
2: so that's that's I, the, yeah yeah, but also, for example, in Europe, we have GDPR and and, and those rules. Yeah. So if you are in government and if you are using specific tools and that, for example, pre-scrape a lot of data that's untargeted and it will only become targeted when you as a customer ask a question, that information by default was scraped illegally according to GDPR laws. If you are, let's say, uh, law enforcement, tax authority, I don't know, uh, customs, whatever. So if you're planning on using those tools, please go ahead. But be aware of the fact that if you need to show up in court and if a smart judge asks questions, your entire case may go directly into the waste bin because she simply used tools that you did not audit or they are not fully transparent. Right. And I think I think that is also an increasing new problem in the industry itself is that there are a lot of awesome products that can deliver a lot of data that can be turned into intelligence but if you need to use that information in a court of law you need to be able to tell where the information is coming from and what technologies were used to get that information. And if that's not transparent, it's unusable for certain, let's say clients.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's totally true. And I think that, that, that regulatory piece is just really difficult, right? So like we have varying degrees of, of, of regulatory compliance and, um, it is just very difficult, right? From a business perspective and a collection perspective, and, and how things go together, where that collection is actually taking place, um, where where the developers actually from, um, you know, what's the technology behind that, um, which is it's it's an, which is another uh, thing to think about when if you ever go through you know due diligence process um, or or a technical debt um, analysis process. These things are, are, are are pretty hefty. And so I would just, you know, encourage folks that, that are out there. Um, I'm not trying to push our product. I'm trying to just always push awareness to understand what is the infrastructure behind what you're getting. And that, I mean, you could apply that to Reddit. You could apply that to Google. You could apply that to, you know, what's the infrastructure behind that. Um, or even chat GPT, right? So, um, you got to know, you know, who backed something, where the developers are, where's the infrastructure from and um, what does that really mean to your business? Right. And, and um, there's, there's pros and cons there.
2: It also kind of amazes me because I, well, I, I do a little bit with Osin, So I'm in a lot of, let's say conferences and places where it's, Purely 100% open source intelligence, which means that the people talking there, the people that have boots, fender boots there, and and the people attending, all are in the open source intelligence space. I think it's safe to say that almost every conference that I'm at, I will have at least a handful of people coming up to me and say, hey, Nico, can you hack WhatsApp or single?
1: Oh, right. Yeah, you, you hack make, my face, ha- hack the Facebook. Like, yeah, yeah. And like,
2: hack, I'm like, am you like,
0: you're gonna hack this and you're like,
2: what? and I'm like, what do you do not understand on open source sales about the word open? Open means that the information has to be coming from an open accessible source. Maybe sometimes you pay, or you need to let's say authenticate to a platform. But hacking means that you're trying to get your way into something that was not supposed to be open. It may be so that someone made a huge mistake and that you can still grab it, but then you then it has nothing to do with open source intelligence. So why are you attending an open source intelligence conference, claiming to be an open source intelligence analyst, asking me if I can hack stuff? Then you're at the you're at the wrong conference. Of course, there are vendors and conferences and things where you can get and buy that stuff, and I get it. I've got a clandestine background, I know there's a need for that for that stuff but it's not open source. Right. So if someone sells and offers you a tool that can collect data from a source from which you as an open source and sales practitioner know that you should not be able to access someone's, let's say meta DMS or someone's Twitter DMS or, um, WhatsApp messages or single, messages. those are closed sources. Those are closed box those communications are meant to be not private, non-public. So don't ask those questions unless you have a, let's say, a different perspective on what you want to do.
0: Okay. Well,
1: I think this is good.